gentlemen, welcome to this week's episode of the Back Truck Up Podcast. I'm James Rooster Bowen. I'm here with Justin Super Trucker Martin. And this week we have a very special guest, Mr. Drew Mankind Epler is here. Uh, I had to have a conversation with us. But before we get started, I want to thank OTR Solutions for sponsoring this podcast. They're factoring programs and solutions taking supporting trucking companies to a whole new level. I can do a whole podcast on everything these guys bring to the table and the success stories that come from working with them. But for now, head on over to otrsuits.com slash BTU to learn more connect with our dedicated BTU team. Justin, what's going on, buddy? Nothing much. Uh, Drew and I go way back. We started at Schneider about the same time. And like everyone else back then, we were always running into each other at their operating centers on uh, laundry day. And uh, we'd always sit and chat while we're waiting for our clothes to get finished. And uh, we've been keeping in touch ever since. Um, fun thing about having people that you know in this industry is you might start at the same point, but going forward years down the line, you know, your career paths couldn't be any more different. And Drew is no exception. Uh, Drew, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Um, well, yeah, I'm Drew Epler. Uh, a lot of people in the uh, little bit different industry call me Mankind. Um, like Justin said, 15 years ago, we met on Laundry Day. We were both working for Schneider. And uh, he's definitely right. Our career paths went two totally different directions. <laughs> so so where'd you go after after Schneider? Oh, uh, after Schneider, uh, I did a little bit of local work. Um, you know, did did the JB Hunt thing after Schneider. Drove for uh, Smith for a little bit and ended up with at uh, Conway Freight and spent about three years at Conway Freight um, until I got a phone call um, one day and I packed my stuff up, moved to uh, Poplar Branch, North Carolina, started working on monster trucks. Now that's mm. that's crazy. You actually were working for the Gravedigger team when I lived in Philadelphia and you got us some tickets to the show there. So always appreciate that. How did you even like end up uh, working in that industry? Well, um, it all started when I was, a, when I was like a kid, you know, some guy, some kids have want to be doctors, lawyers, policemen, firefighters, astronauts, whatever. I wanted to be a monster truck driver. So ever since I was a child, really, I mean, four or five years old, that's what I wanted to do. Um, and it started really young for me also when, uh, my sister had a friend who babysat me and her dad happened to own, um, the Thunder Chicken monster truck that ran on the TNT, um, uh, point series at the time so that kind of fueled to me hey i could do this and then it was um r- right out of high school went to diesel and large truck school um was a mechanic for a short period of time got my cdl uh, both of those were as stepping stones but also a really good backup plan in case something went south and in uh was it 2012 june of 2012 was when i moved to north carolina but it took me eight months with constant communication with uh, my boss, when it being my boss at Feld, um, to get in the door. So it started in, I think, November of 2011, he and I started talking, and it just went from there. So you actually got in based on, like, your credentials. It wasn't, it's not like these NASCAR teams where you got to be, like, somebody's cousin <laughs> to get your way in? Right, right. I initially went to an independent who was um, located about an hour from where I lived. And as an independent, these guys are running their trucks out of their own pocket and these trucks are not cheap. They're, you know, a turnkey rated run race trucks, $250,000. Oh. They didn't have the budget to hire anybody. He flat out told me, he's like, I don't have the budget, but I know a guy. Everybody knows a guy, don't they? <laughs> well, <laughs> they knew a guy and, um, it went basically here, call this number. And I 
called the number. I To this day, I don't know who I spoke to that day. He's like, hey, I like what I hear. I want you to send your resume and a cover letter to uh, my boss. And it started from there. This was the first team you were with or when you went to uh, Gravedigger? Well, so the first team I was with was Gravedigger, but it was actually for Feld Entertainment. Hmm. Um, you might know other shows, uh, Ringling Brothers, Byron Bailey Circus, Disney on Ice, Disney Live. Uh, they do they do major productions all over the world at all times. Well, they also own Monster Jam. Hmm. So when I got hired them, I went to, yes, I was working at the Gravedigger shop, but I, I didn't work strictly on Gravedigger. I'd worked on all of the fleets of trucks that you see on Monster Jam. Hmm. You know, a lot of truck drivers, they get excited whenever you see a bus full of kids, like pumping their arms, tooting the horn. I got to imagine being at the shows, it's just like that for like two hours straight. Yeah, it is. Especially some of the, uh, and I'm not taking anything away from an arena show, but you get into a stadium show where there might be 60, 70,000 people there. And um, a great example for me is um, in 2013, I did St. Louis. And it, there's a snowstorm going on outside. Um, and the way certain things went during the show, the crowd just got electrified. Hmm. And it was like the hair in the back of your neck stood up. Like you're like, this place could, this place is like just lit right now. The energy of this crowd could power a major city. Yeah, I, I when I was at the show in Philadelphia, it is not seeing it in person is to, is a totally different energy versus seeing it on TV. And it's like that with so many live events, music, uh, wrestling shows, bands, you know, you name it. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I still, um, you know, I'll still keep an eye on what you know is going on on the Monster Jam side of things on through social media. Um, but going to a show whether it be a Monster Jam show, uh, an independent show such as Monster Truck Throwdown or Toughest Monster Truck Tour, it's you can watch the video, but you know, seeing these 12,000-pound trucks flying 30 feet in the air, um, the sound of 1,500 horsepower, <laughs> and it's just it, – it's nothing quite compares to that. Yeah, and if you do go to one of these shows, I highly recommend getting the um, – the, pit passes, whatever they call them, where you actually go on the grounds and see the trucks first. Oh, uh, yeah. the um, Get get yourself a ticket to uh, the pit party. Pit party um, sometimes awesome. I call it. I know with Hot Wheels, uh, Monster Trucks Live, Hot Wheels has their own tour now. They call it the crash zone. Hmm. Um, it's the same thing. You get go down, see the trucks up close, meet the drivers, get autographs, take all the pictures you want. Um, and uh, it's Monster Trucks are, unlike other forms of motorsports, Monster Trucks, fans have the most accessibility to the drivers, the crew guys, mm-hmm. um, the Jamboree series, the special events puts on, um, you know, you know, between shows we're working on the trucks and as a, you know, a fan can walk right up to you and talk to you. And it's, it's a connection that you, I've done a little bit with other motorsports and there's not that connection. It's like going to a WWE show and, seeing you know stone cold steve austin and, and the rock like working out and then going up to them and saying like hey what's up guys and then you know chatting them up not something you'd want to do to those guys <laughs> but you can absolutely exactly do that it is. that's how it is <laughs> but you can absolutely do that at a monster truck show yeah absolutely um you know yeah i've been to i've been to some nhra shows i've been to um some ara rallies and you can go and see where they're working on the trucks but you don't you know unless the driver comes up to the roped off section. You don't get to interact much with the driver hmm. where with, um, with monster trucks, um, you have a, um, well, the drop mo- most of the time, the driver is also working on the truck. So that's where kind of get that 
ability to interact. So it's it's not just a um, everybody that works there is a one size fits all kind of thing. It's, you're not having you never have somebody that's just a driver or just a mechanic. Everybody can swap in and out of uh, positions as needed. Um, not including Monster Jam. Yes, hmm. Monster Jam. They have their their drivers are fly-in drivers then that's all they do they don't work on the trucks you might get like tom might help out with uh working on max d a little bit um adam might help out with working on grave digger and ryan might help out with working on son of a digger but for the most part the drivers don't touch the trucks mechanically at all Hmm. the crew guys with them all they do is work on the trucks they don't do anything else they fly into every show and then the way fell does it they contract their trucks they're hauling out to outside carriers um on the independent side of things I mean, you do it all. Most of the time, you're out there by yourself, too. So, you know, you drive the hauler, you know, you drive 1,500 miles cross country to go to a show. And then when you get there, you unload the truck, you put the big tires on it, and you do your thing. Yeah. Like when I was at the Philadelphia show, I looked, I got to see a little bit behind the scenes and seeing how they have to fit the trucks into, you know, the back end of a car haul trailer. It's funny because, you know, they're not driving the big wheels at the time. And, I thought it looked kind of funny and you were like, no, 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 don't take any photos. Cause it doesn't have the big wheels on it. They, they want the image of like the, the that iconic, yeah. that iconic image it's, of like the big wheels kind of, on it. It's kind of cartoonish when it's got the, when it's got like the, the three, the two eighty five semi tires on it, driving into the trailer, you know, and it's kind of <laughs> comical seeing it like that. It's like, it's like a, is that a monster truck. Or is that a midget truck? <laughs> it's a, a skipped leg day truck. <laughs> yeah. That shows you how important those big tires are. You know, that adds to like the, 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 I don't know what you'd call it. The, the mystique of the trucks. Gravitas of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and again, that was a, a monster jam thing really where they didn't want th- those pictures out on social media. And I think they've lightened up on that quite a bit. Um, now you go to any show, you can watch them taking the tires up and you know, you can like the jamborees, you can step back 10 feet and watch them do this. Um, at um, almost any other show, you can kind of just peek through the fence and see what they're doing. And we don't hide it. I mean, if you want to learn about this stuff, by all means, we'll show you everything you want to know about this stuff. Yeah, one of the things I really appreciated most was like the um, the improvisation it takes to really put these shows on. Um, there was that zombie truck. When I was at the show, it had arms that come out off of the hood of the truck. And you had mentioned that in a previous show, the arm had... You know, just about every show, the arm gets damaged. And at a previous show, the arm was like snapped in half. And so what they did was they just bolted it back onto the hood of the truck, grinded the stump clean, and then spray painted it red. So now it looks even more like a zombie, you know, than it did, yeah, than it did yeah. before. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, that truck was one of the easiest trucks to do body, body repair on. I didn't work <laughs> around that truck a whole lot. Um, but being able to improvise with that truck, it was, it was easy because... Oh, it broke the arm off. We can fix that real quick. Um, you, you know, roll it, o- roll it over and the hood gets messed up and the hood looked kind of like a zombie face skull thing. Oh, this is easy. Just, you know, drill a couple holes in it, zip tie it together. It looks like stitches. <laughs> they, someone, someone needs to have a team truck called uh, like Frankenstein. I don't know how they'd get the rights to it. It's got to be open. Um, <laughs> public domain. Yes. Is, is Frankenstein public domain now? It has to be, right? I don't think so. I think it's still owned by Universal because uh, oh, there was right. a truck. Right. Um, there, I don't. Uh, it must have been 15, 20 years ago now, where um, they did like the. Um, I can't remember the name of the truck that did it, but they used some of the old 
a horror movie characters, and one of them was Frankenstein. So it still had the truck's name, but it had like a Frankenstein, had Frankenstein's monster on the side. And I'm pretty sure that was still, you know, part of the whole Universal or whoever owned the rights to it. See, but that's such a great idea for a team truck because you could uh, literally make a Frankenstein's monster out of all the parts and pieces that fall off during a show, scoop them up, and then they just <laughs> slap them onto the truck. <laughs> <laughs> and they did that with um, one of the monster mutts. It started out as a joke just uh, for a qualifying body at Vegas one year, and then they turned it into a real truck where they took, you know, okay, there's a part for a Monster Mutt Dalmatian that got damaged. There's a part from the Monster Mutt Rottweiler truck that got damaged or the regular Monster Mutt, and they turned it into junkyard dogs. These are monster trucks that were shaped like dogs? Um, well, at the time, they were based off of a uh, 50s Mercury um, body, like le- the whole chopped, channeled, lead sled-looking thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they changed it up. Uh, since then, and they look like regular. They look, I don't know, I say they look like a regular truck, but <laughs> they use the regular chassis of the truck now, and um, it's still it's got a it's got a dog, more of a dog cartoony dog look to it now. Sweet. Uh, speaking of skirting uh, copyright infringement, I love the Soldier of Fortune truck. When you're looking at it, it's clearly the Warthog from Halo, <laughs> but like they can't <laughs> obviously they can't say. You know, this is the Halo truck, so they have to call it, you know, something a little more uh, universal. What, uh, what did you guys have any other like problems running into copyright strikes like that? Not that I know, um, not that I know of, because that wasn't my job. My job was when I worked for them, uh, I was a crew guy, and uh, I I was one of the few crew guys that had a that had a valid CDL. Most of them either let them let them go without getting a medical card or just didn't have one to begin with. So, but yeah, the copyright stuff, that was not my department at all. Mm-hmm. You got the company as big as Feld. Um, they, uh, they have a whole department on that. So they got to have a team of lawyers <laughs> that can, that can work it. So, oh, yeah. because these things are on a closed course and it's on private property, you don't need a special license to drive one of these things, right? Um, again, that's down to the individual promoter. If you are with the, uh, if you're with the MTRA, which is the monster racing association, um, they do require that you have the equivalent of a CDL physical. Okay. Um, so your basic medical card. Other than that, you don't need a license, any kind of special license. Well, because I have to imagine when you're in the cab, so the the driver's seat is in the center of the cab of these, um, at least the ones that I've seen. And I don't, other than spatial awareness, I don't see how a CDL would translate into operating one of these things anyway. It doesn't. Um, and again, they mainly want to make sure you're healthy for it. Yeah. Like they don't want you in charge, you know, a truck that can go, you know, well, I think we just hit a, re- someone just hit a record recently of a, just broke 101 miles an hour with one. What? Uh, I didn't know they were that fast. But, <laughs> neither did I. <laughs> I love the ratio on that truck. Where, where do they test that? Is that is like a, a airstrip somewhere? Um, this guy did it. Uh, he it was uh, Joey Sylvester, the Bad Habit uh, Relapse Truck. He did it up at a drag strip at a uh, actual drag race event. Mm. But um, I know something like that. There, there is practice involved, <laughs> and something like that. You know, most airstrips won't let you come in there. You you've done security stuff, man, Justin. <laughs> they, they don't let you. Hey, I got a monster. Can I run down your air your airstrip? <laughs> My wife works in insurance, and I just I'm imagining like the the insurance people there just freaking out. <laughs> Because <laughs> the tracks are you probably might get away with it on a private airstrip, but uh, like military or yeah, uh, or public airstrip, you'd probably have to jump through some serious hoops. 
Yeah, I don't think they'll let you do that at O'Hara. <laughs> One of my favorite like YouTube uh, YouTube rabbit holes that go down these days is um they have remote control cars now that do like almost three hundred miles per hour. You know, they they have like insane electric motors and battery packs that are like nuclear submarine powered you know things now on them and they just slap them together and then they zip it down a runway and the guy that the, the channel that i was watching he has like a the, the way he tracks it because it's going too fast for them to like follow along the car they literally have like a gps tracker on the little car and they have to like start it on one end of the runway <laughs> run it down to the end hope it doesn't crash and burn and explode and then track the uh the time it took to go down the track these yeah these <laughs> these things are just Ugh, I haven't like, seen anything on that yet. That that's I gotta check that one out. It's um so like drones were like a, the racing drones were a big thing um yeah. a couple years ago and same same thing. It just like they get cheaper and cheaper to manufacture in China and then they work it works its way into the hobbyists down here and then people figured out a way to like marry the cheap parts, cheap batteries, and then more and more powerful motors together and it just it's crazy the things that they can do with these things now. Yeah, I've seen a couple of the uh, drones like that you're talking about, and um, it's it's I don't understand. Like, I understand that you can do a lot of stuff with some performance, but seeing this thing could just come I don't know 100 miles an hour at you, and then all of a sudden it just stops. Like, yep. well, there's your UFO conspiracy right there. It's been drones the whole time. <laughs> all these people that you know say that they see things out in Area 51 and stuff. I'm, that's all I, I immediately think. It's like, oh, they got to be drones. The way that they can just stop and go and change directions <laughs> yeah. on, the, on the fly. You know, once you see what a racing drone can do, you just immediately have to go. Okay, yeah, that's that's exactly what people are seeing. <laughs> I got into watching those what they call RC mites. They're you have seen the like the little racing cars, the RC cars, the Walmart. You know, they're about like size of shoebox. Mm-hmm. These things like fit in the palm of your hand and palm of your hand, and they're doing like a hundred. Yeah, and they have them on like 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 go kart tracks, and to scale, it's like 300, 500 miles an hour, but you know they're only doing like seventy or eighty. It's crazy to watch, and it's and it's not. They're not are seeing these things. They're programmed on a Raspberry Pi hmm. circuit board, and they just set it on the track and hit go. And drives itself. And it drives oh, itself. Crazy. So my back in the early and late eighties, my dad was into RC cars, and the thing he loved to drive the most was like quarter scale sprint cars, and these were powered with weed eater engines. And they would just put like a yeah. special like what they call it a wasp tail or wasp whatever exhaust pipe on them, and they had such a very distinct sound. And because they're burning ethanol, it had a very distinct smell. And I just <laughs> there's you you find another race league like that, and you put me in that crowd, and I smell. I'm like immediately transported back to like my early childhood. But now with them all moving to lithium batteries, you know you don't get like that same sense of nostalgia. And the sound, the sound is weird too, because they're all like high pitched whining instead of like the, the. It's not a, it's not a rumble or anything. It's just a really loud, annoying buzz. <laughs> yeah. I've crossed my fingers for like a hydrogen racing league. I'd like to see how that, how the exhaust on that goes. Uh, well, I think hydrogen is a little more flammable than the ethanol, right? I mean, we've heard of the Hindenburg, <laughs> yeah, well, right? It is, it is, uh, it is space rocket fuel, so. <laughs> If there's a if there's a way to do it, I'm sure some hobbyist out there has done it. I just think they went to the ethanol route because you know weed eater engines were Born. everywhere and the fuel was cheap, and and uh, that type of fuel is in every kind of remote control vehicle out there. You got all kinds of like planes and helicopters and stuff that use it now, but 
I don't think people even use that kind of fuel as much anymore as the batteries. I, I know in the RC stuff, I you could call me a part-time hobbyist with the RC stuff. Um, when I was doing it, we were running the nitro um, in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got, and I mean, yeah, there's still some nitro trucks out there, but it's all gone. It's all gone to lithium and brushless. The brushless motor changed the, changed the RC world, especially when they became affordable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then throw the lithium battery on it. And now you've got, you know, 300 mile an hour RC cars um, in the RC monster truck world. Nobody runs nitro. Um, it's all brushless. Uh, you know, the, the, the course that I, or the little bit of RC stuff that I did was with um, a, a group out in around St. Louis and it was all brushless lithium uh, for their, uh, was it, they call it pro mod monster trucks. And then the uh, little, the for brush motors, it was sports mod. Ooh, there's an idea. When are we going to see the first electric monster truck? You already did. Oh, um, about, about 10 years ago, Bigfoot brought out Bigfoot 21. Um, it's got an electric motor in it um, and it's powered by 36 Odyssey batteries. Oh, how heavy are those things? Uh, hey odyssey that's uh, that heavy (laughs) um it's mostly a um a display and exhibition vehicle um i do believe they raced it once um but i mean it's already been done um they were you know bigfoot's you know they started the industry and they like being the first at doing things and raising that bar for the entire industry so um you know when the opportunity came up let's do it so okay, let's let's drill on that a little bit because I got to think you know with the electric motors the, the torque is like immediate. So wouldn't something like that be capable other than tearing itself apart? You know, couldn't that thing do even crazier stunts than the uh, fuel powered ones they have now? Um, that specific truck, um, uh, not on the big tires. Um, I've I did work for Bigfoot, um, and I've seen that truck. Like the technology has advanced so much since that truck was built about 10 years ago, it could probably do it, but then you're getting into the safety aspect of the lithium batteries. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how often do we hear about an electric car burning to the ground? Yeah. Um, I know, um, I know of one that of an electric car that got wrecked. One cell got damaged in the pack. Okay. It caught on fire. They could put the fire out and then, the next cell was damaged. It lit up after the initial fire was put out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, plus the toxic smoke from a, um, a lithium battery fire. You know, most of our stuff's indoors. So the, I don't see it happening anytime soon, but we all see the writing on the wall. Yeah. And that's the way the world's going. Come on, Bigfoot, get on it. <laughs> <laughs> Your truck's 10 years old. I'm sure there's something even crazier out now they can they can pull off. Um. I'm sure there is. Uh, the, techno- the technology is getting there. Um, you know, a Don Garlitz set records with um, electric dragster. Um, but, you know, that, that thing weighs only, what, 2,000 pounds? And this is a 10, 11,000 pound monster truck. So the, the technology is getting in that direction. I see it as this is like the early days of the, of the internal combustion engine. You know, you, you look at them now, the old motors, and they're laughable compared to what they, what they can do now. And it's the same with electric. You know, we're just barely dipping our toes into what these things can do. Because, you know, drone racing is a good example. 15, 20 years ago, these things were sci-fi. And now any kid with a $20 on their dad's credit card can go out there and, and buy like a pretty decent racing drone off of uh, Alibaba. Yeah. Um, so back to the uh, the monster trucks. Do you know like what the current like record height jump 
is for a monster because like, seeing these things in person and seeing how high and how far they can jump is just insane. Now, obviously, I was in I was inside the stadium, so it didn't they couldn't do like the crazy big jumps that they do in the outdoor events. But uh, do you know like how what's the longest they've, they've driven so far? The longest jump, I believe, is right around 218 or 220 feet. Um, that record has been up for a couple of years now. Um, initially, the record was, was set in nine, 1999 um, at 202 feet. Hmm. And it was there forever. Um, and then, it, you know, it, it got beat. And then uh, the, the team that initially set that record, they took the record back. And then... Um, they kind of went back and forth between these two certain teams, but I believe it's 220 feet for a long jump. And I think height is up around 30 feet, 35 feet. Hmm. Um, and that's on a purpose built. Just go as high as you can ramp. Do they have to do certain, <laughs> do they have to do different setups with the trucks when they're trying to do jumps versus trying to do, you know, spins or, you know, crushing buses? Um, it all depends on the track. Um, uh, the old Vegas track, it was such a long track with a long straight. We you gear yourself differently for that. It only had one jump. So after racing, you would change out your transfer case gears. And then, um, uh, you know, between racing and freestyle at every show, you adjust your shocks, you tighten them up just a little bit for freestyle. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I mean, it's the same setup everywhere you go. Um, that's the great thing about, uh, the monster trucks. Your biggest changing is maybe a little bit in your shocks, um, you're gearing for sure, and um, the tire pressure. You run a mud, you run a mud show. You change your tire pressure. It dries out. You, you know, change it again. <laughs> um, when I go on YouTube and I see these like monster truck compilations, um, I saw one. I think it was last year's show, 2021. They had all the trucks lined up on like the backside of the track, and then they're all taking turns one at a time doing their shows. And I can't remember which which trucks they were, but I think it was like one of the first or second trucks. They they go out, they do their jump but then they land and then roll into like one or two of the other trucks that are sitting there parked. That's got to be like so infuriating where you're waiting for your turn to go. And then some guy goes and screws up and then just wipes out your truck before you even have a chance to put on your show. Um, yeah, it is. Um, especially since a majority of the trucks out there are owned by independents. Um, but most of the time it's, it's fiberglass damage. Um, the, these moss trucks are built, so tough that it takes quite a bit to tear them up. Hmm. Um, um, but you know, sometimes things go wrong, but majority of the time on a rollover, it's just check all your fluids, take, the, take the broken fiberglass off and continue, continue on. What's the worst catastrophic failure you ever seen out on a track? Uh, blown motors, um, all the time. These, they're, you know, they're alcohol injected, blower motor so they're it's not when it's gonna blow or not it's not if it's gonna blow it's when uh, that'll that'll end your night for sure the absolute most carnage i've seen um i mean i've, I've seen trucks where the tra- chassis was destroyed you can scab it back together to get through the rest of the season and then you you gotta do a chassis swap um i've seen trucks broken in half hmm. um on stuff that i've had to repair my very first year doing this stuff um my driver hit a box truck during freestyle and it pulled the whole rear axle out from under the truck. Shouldn't have done it, but it was one of those things. It was a, a normal hit. And then it was, well, you, you left something back there. <laughs> so, so let's say I'm in a boss fight against a, 
monster truck? What are its vulnerable weak spots? Four link bar. You break a four link bar, and a lot of bad stuff's going to happen really quick. Hmm. <laughs> now, are these like just uh. are these like features, not bugs, or is this something that they can fix in like future generation designs? Well, they they already have. Um, again, a few years ago, uh, you know, it got to a point where the tracks were changing for more air, and uh, especially with the arena shows, because there's the the jumps aren't outwards; they're more up at arena shows. And so the truck would go out, do a wheelie that was really high. When it came down, the four wheel bar would just fold under. Hmm. And it's, oops. Um, one of the teams out there then started. Um, making a thicker four-link bar that was tapered, and I believe it was made out of chromoly. Um, they really um, toughened it up so you're not seeing those failures as often. Hmm. Again, it's the, the sport's always evolving. Um, I've got a friend of mine. He's been doing it for years. I believe he's in the Monster Truck Hall of Fame, and he is kind of a, kind of a bit of a mad scientist when it comes to the suspension on these trucks, and he's always looking for the next step, um, whether it be for safety, for performance or uh, durability. So do you know, like what do they have coming down the pipe for that? Um, as far as the evolution of these trucks, I have seen, there is a truck out there that runs fully independent suspension all the way around. Um, it is, I think that could be a direction the industry is heading. Because I've seen the truck and it works good. Like he's an independent, he, so he started out. You know, it was okay. We see this guy doing this stuff, and then a few years later, and wow, he's this this truck works. It lands. It doesn't bounce like um, like our current trucks do. Um, the biggest change in our trucks in the last um, five to ten years is safety. Um, these trucks are built around safety. Because think about it, every time that truck lands, it's basically a controlled crash Mm -hmm. so (laughs) you know they went from foam neck collars and the the beard suspension seats to um the isp and butler built seats which are built for every driver and hans devices or the hybrid x system through i think simpson for you know keeping your head on (laughs) yeah yeah they don't they don't want Um, anyone going out there pulling a dale earnhardt rest in peace no no Ah, not at all rest in peace man (laughs) Um, thankfully with the, uh, um, safety in our trucks in the last 46 years, I believe nobody's ever died behind the wheel of a monster truck. And that's, I don't think any other motorsports out there can say that. Yeah. And I, the, just off the top of my head, um, let me look it up here. There was a monster truck crash in Mexico, I think, um, that killed like a couple people in the crowd and that's you know, very rare. And then they find out the guy had like, you know, blood alcohol content, like way over the legal limit. But, you know, again, this was in Mexico. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, to, I, I know to... the accident you're talking about. That was quite a few years ago. Um, that oh, 23rd, 2013. I'm sorry. I thought it yeah. was like recently. No, um, that there was a lot of sketchy things um, going on around with that. You can just see it from the video. Um, and then more things like the guy being under the influence. Um, Cause it's, it's just like a semi truck. You you don't want any you want you want to be a triple zero hero behind the wheel of a semi truck, same way you want to be a triple yeah. zero hero behind the wheel of a monster truck or anything you really you drive. Yeah, it's I liken it to like a um, like a Chernobyl incident. People always boohoo about the 
supposed safety of nuclear, which it's actually one of the safest and reliable forms of energy out there. And these these trucks, you know, semi trucks, hand monster trucks, they are very safe vehicles operated properly. And in just like with Chernobyl, it takes multiple, multiple, multiple points of we shouldn't be doing this yeah. uh, before something catastrophic happens. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, a lot of people don't realize, you know, uh, uh, eighty thousand pound semi truck going highway speed. I I always like to bring up this little uh, engineering calculation I found on Reddit. Uh, it, it hits about a hundred pounds of the force of a hundred pounds of TNT when it hits. So when you see this all these images of carnage and involved in a tractor trailer accident, it, it's legitimate. It's about you know that's that's showing the force of what's involved here. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's safety is where it's at. I mean, nothing we do is worth getting hurt or anyone or hurting anyone else over. Uh, whether it be day to day to day life, um, the commercial driving world, racing world, nothing. You know, come home at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't gone to otrsolutions.com/btu yet, here's your reminder. Not sure how to say it, but factoring these guys just makes sense. They're focused on driving your success and helping you grow your company. They've gone as far as offering custom business email address setups so you can negotiate better rates with brokers. There's just so much opportunity out there, and OTR is your ticket to success. So head on over to otrsolutions.com slash BTU and check out their solutions. Something we were talking about on the phone yesterday was, you know, after you so because of covid obviously it, it affected the monster truck industry just like every other industry and uh you got furloughed and you were looking for work and you ended up working at carvana for a bit uh tell us about uh working there versus you know working at the uh working for monster trucks uh it was definitely a uh a change of pace um when uh the pandemic started there in march 2020 um i was on tour when everything got shut down I was out doing uh, a bunch of uh, displays for Firestone Tires, and it was, okay, um, our schedule got shut down, uh, go home for a couple weeks, you got plenty of vacation time and stuff. Well, eventually, you know, that kept getting getting extended. So eventually, I ran out of vacation time, and they had the Paytech Protection Plan. Eventually, that ran out. So wait, you're you're telling me that monster trucks aren't essential? Nope. I, I not at all. I disagree. <laughs> I mean, I would too, because it was my it was my livelihood. <laughs> um, so I took a job driving a dump truck, thinking, okay, you know, summer twenty twenty, I drive a dump truck, thinking I'm going to get called back this week. I'm going to get called back next week. Took a seasonal gig. Well, eventually the season came to an end, and I was, you know, I'm I'm up in the Midwest. It gets cold. You know, not much <laughs> dump truck work happens. So I uh, I took an opportunity with Carvana hauling cars. And it was the first time in a couple of years that I worked for a major corporation. And it was a huge adjustment for me. Um, and a startup too, you know, they're a young company. Yeah, they are very young um, and growing at, at a tremendous pace. So I went on board with them and went through their training and, ju- and it was a great time, uh, their training. Um, I, I grew up, in a family where my dad got hurt at work. So I'm big on safety. Um, and that's exactly what their training program was about. Safety, safety. This is how you do it safe. Um, and when I got out there working at their uh, locations, um, I saw that I was taking a back seat pretty quick. I noticed like it was basically the first time like, Oh, excuse me, you're doing what? Um, 
So I wasn't real happy there um, because it was say one thing, but when you get out there working, it was do another thing. Um, so do you think that's because they were a young company and they were trying to grow as quickly as possible or just they didn't understand why this stuff was important? Um, I, they, I, I fully believe they understand why it's important. However, I, I believe it was individual management location, the management at locations doing it. Um, cause a good, a good employee doesn't leave a good job because of one thing or another, they leave because of bad management. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exactly why I left my location. I wasn't, it was too many roosters in the hen house. You could say. <laughs> Mega carriers. Are you listening? Yes. Drivers, exactly. drivers don't leave good companies. Yeah. <laughs> um, drivers leave poor management. <laughs> so do you um, think it's because, you know, if, if the driver screws up, the driver takes the blame, nothing happens to the management. I mean, I, I don't know. Like I said, I saw the writing on the wall pretty quickly. I was only there about three months um, before I was like, this is not for me. Um, it could be because, you know, in training, they're t- telling us, oh, this driver got hurt because he did this. This driver got hurt because he did that. They don't, but I learned quickly, they don't tell you is because management turns a blind eye. You know, working there, we, was, we were paid a straight salary. We didn't get overtime. We didn't get paid mileage by the car, by the load percentage. It was a straight salary. Oh, that's interesting. So, which which you might not think of it, but that puts into the same mindset as um, working for the load, working for a percentage of that load, get as much done as you can. Instead of making as much money as per the load with doing it by salary, work as much work as much as, as fast as you can to get home sooner. Oh, okay, because you're trying to beat the clock. Yeah, you don't want to. Essentially, you don't want to work more than forty hours a week. Okay, yeah, I, I definitely see that because when I was a contractor uh, for the Postal Service hauling mail, um, Monday, so my I worked, first I worked four days a week, and then I was working five days a week when a different contractor took over my run. Um, but I think my days off were Monday, Tuesday. And so uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'm running only as best as I can because of the traffic. But then Sunday, because the contract pays 12 hours minimum, I would run as fast and hard as I could to try and complete the route in say 10, 10 and a half hours. Cause then I'd still get paid for 12. That's okay. That's interesting. Cause I would, my initial gut reaction to salary was, Oh, okay, cool. Now there's no need to rush because you're getting paid, whether you're taking your time or you're, you're rushing, but you're right. So you were, you were home every night with Carvana. Yeah, I was well every day <laughs> I, I was working okay. nights, um, which I loved no traffic. Go out, do your thing, come on back. But you see a lot of the guys cut corners on, you know, load the way they were loading their stuff. Or you'd see some of the guys, you know, drive a little bit faster than they should be. Um, you know, like I said, you know, I grew up where my family got stirred up quite a bit from uh, my dad getting hurt in an industrial accident. So I don't, I've seen the repercussion of what happens when you try to cut those corners and I don't do that. So you know, you might get someone saying, well, you got to pick up the pace. Like, I'm doing the job safely. Yeah. I, so. I'm always interested in seeing how companies can try and change the incentives for the drivers because yeah, you're right. As, as an OTR guy and as a contractor and in your case, salary, you're running as hard as fast as you can. Plus I assumed you guys also had to deal with uh, the e-logs and stuff too. Uh, yeah, we did. We, um, yeah. with, with Carvana, yeah, I did have to run e-logs 
Yeah, um, so that that's yet another clock that you're trying to beat. Um, yeah. In the postal service, you know, we're paid by the hour and we're paid overtime. So there's like this initial rush, rush, rush to try and get things done. But then once you hit that eight hour wall, you're like, oh, I'm just going to pump the brakes, take my time, you know, be quote unquote as safe as possible. But your 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 first like couple months there, like it is tough because you're so used to running as hard and as fast as you can. And all the old timers there, that's what they constantly drill into you. Like, hey, man, slow down, take your time, be safe, get through your 90 days. That 90 day period is so important because that's kind of easing you into the transition of going from the type of driving you were doing versus the kind of driving you have to do now in the postal service. And because we were government, we didn't have e-logs. Or nothing. I haven't filled a logbook out in like the last five years, man. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> that, was whole, that was the whole reason I joined them. When like what you were saying there was your 90 days thing. I know the postal service is different from where I'm at right now. Um, currently, um, I'm within my 90 days at United Rentals and, um, it's, you know, I don't want to mess anything up. I, when I realized this furlough thing was going to be a long-term thing, I quit doing the seasonal work and said, well, I should probably grow up and get a real job. So, um, and it's, you know, same thing. I don't want to mess up, but I want to do the job the best I can. And I'm doing flatbed work. I've never done flatbed before. So it, there was, there was a learning curve there. Um, but again, United Rentals is another one that preaches safety and is, you know, safety, safety, safety. But the difference was, or is, you see it in the field all day, every day. Like they went as far as even our semi trucks have backup cameras. Um, our uh, strap systems on, or the winch systems on the side of the flatbed, I'm not using a three foot long bar to, to ratchet them down. We use the bow winch system. Um, which is, I don't see why other companies don't go to the bow winches because it's so much safer. Can you explain on that? What do you, what do you mean? Cause I, I've, I literally done two flatbed loads in my entire career (laughs) and I'm never doing that again. (laughs) So the bow winch, um, is, it looks like, it looks kind of like your normal, you use the exact same straps. Um, instead it's got a, uh, a worm drive. So you pull a bolt out and you, and you can free spin your, spool so throw your winch or throw your strap over and then you crank it in to get it snug you run this uh bolt back in and it's like i said it's a it's a uh, worm drive you take a, a ratchet and you just ratchet it down and i can okay. get them just as tight without hanging off a three foot long bar with that ratchet with one arm than i can with uh the the, the long cheater bar it also helps open up the the kind of drivers that uh can can strapped down a load like that you know you got somebody that's 300 pounds hanging off that bar you know they can they can tighten it pretty tight but you get you know uh like sedea morris out there <laughs> we had her last week on the podcast and she mentioned that it's real tough trying to strap down something when you when you weigh you know 120 pounds exactly it's so and the great thing with the bow winches you can use a drill so mm. and that's what that's what we do we have a our a milwaukee cordless drill with a one inch socket on it and to bust Bust everything loose, hit it with the drill. Hmm. Then when I go when I go through, you know, you snug everything up. I snug it up with the drill, and then you know, give it three cranks with the ratchet, and it's tight to go down the road. You gotta say All you right. gotta it's like they say you gotta flick it and say that's not going anywhere. All right, let me ask you this: so, um, half turn or no turn with the straps? So. <laughs> I see this debate all the time and I, I never really understood it. Um, and then I looked it up and I, I understand both sides of the arguments. 
But to, to so, me, because to, to me, my, my gut says don't put a don't put a twist in the strap. And and you're right. My gut tells me the same thing. However, the way you're supposed to strap down a flatbed is to go through the rub rail over your product through the rub rail again and hook it on the bottom of the trailer there. My specific trailer, the strap always falls off. Mm. We also know the DOT doesn't like seeing your straps on the outside of your rub rail. I put the half twist in it, go through the rub rail, and put the hook on the outside of the rub rail. That way, if it brushes up against something, it doesn't cut a strap because there's no strap to be cut there. Um, so I, I do do the uh, half turn. Okay, that's, that's interesting because the, the arguments I was seeing for the half turn and the research I was doing for it was um, if you have no twist in your strap and you're going on the highway, the wind blowing through that creates like a harmonics and it vibrates the straps and that's how they become loose. If they have a half twist in them, it breaks up the the wind harmonics as it's going through and your straps don't come loose. Any truth to that? I might, a little bit, but think about it too, Justin, you got a half twist in there. So if you put your half twist on your, on whatever side, whether it be, or even on the top of, of the product, you still got a flat strap somewhere getting, getting whipped by the wind. Mm-hmm. So yesterday, um, I had help. I had a, I had a guy with the contractor I was working with helping. He, uh, he just he just held. The, I was able to put it down under the, through the rubber and hook it on the trailer. And he, just, I was just like, hold that so I can get a little bit of tension on it. And yeah, sure, they were. My straps were vibrating. I could see them, but they weren't any looser. Hmm. But with the again going back to the bow winch, you can get just a little bit tighter with those. Um, because you're not going every ratchet click it's a so instead of taking a full click um on a regular ratchet winch you can take that um worm drive and just go a little bit like a little eighth turn snugger hmm. eighth turn more snug it's one of those kind of debates like android versus apple xbox versus playstation you go into any truck driving forum and you just type in twist or no twist and you just watch the uh watch the flames fly <laughs> yeah. okay the best thing i ever heard uh, in the trucking industry, I was still working. I believe I was still at Schneider. Um, you can't get three truck drivers to agree on the, on a price of free cup of coffee. The price of free. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I'm pretty much, yeah, you can see that. Uh, (laughs) No such thing as a free cup. Is it a small cup that's free? Is a big cup that's free? Well, what's free? Okay. So (laughs) this is perfect timing. Uh, Truck Drive Appreciation Week is, is upon us soon. What's been like the best thing you've seen on the road as far as like feeling appreciated or the worst? Um, uh, I guess the worst can be not even acknowledging it. Um, the best, I didn't really see much of this year. In the past, I've seen uh, um, Pilot Flying Jays giving, giving drivers free hats where they have an employee walking around the, uh, walking right around the fuel island. Here, have a hat. Here, have a hat. Um, this year, I haven't seen much, but then again, I don't really stop at a lot of truck stops. Um, I get my I get my fuel at Speedways, um, just because I can get in and out of there quicker than a uh, than a Pilot Flying J or a Petro or a TA. Um, I, I I know Sheets. I, I remember you guys were talking about Sheets and Wawa's a couple weeks ago. <laughs> um, Sheets is doing something right now. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what it is. I actually just saw the email right before. Um, I got on here with you, um, but they're the only ones that I've seen doing something for drivers this year. Uh, but then again, I don't stop at the big chain truck stops anymore. Well, they're discounting the uh, 
the fuel price at the pumps for a week, which, you know, that's got to, that's got to cost them a bit, I think. Oh yeah. That, yeah, that, that, Sheets is, uh, believe they're locking the price at 449. And that's great for, you know, for drivers because the price of fuel is outrageous. Um, well, also for fuel. So what's, what's the price of fuel at now? Cause I would think, you know, you go out there and try and scoop up as much as you can, but the prices are still, you know, they're not dropping like a rock, but they are, you know, coming down a little bit. Uh, I think out here, uh, I mean, I'm in Ohio. I think out here it was, I think I got fuel yesterday for five fifty a gallon, I believe. Um, so, I mean, I've, I, you, you know, I've been on the side where I owned my own truck for a while and the fuel price, like I would not have been able to do it with fuel price the way they are now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Let's, let's, let's talk about that for a little bit. So you, you left Schneider and then you got your own truck or were you, were you with Smith for a bit? When did, when did so you start I, to, when did you decide to like buy your own truck? Well, hang on back the truck up. I never worked okay. for Swift. I, ne- I never worked for <laughs> Swift. <laughs> good plug. Good plug. Uh, they all start Send with him a hat, so. Justin. Send him a hat. You got it. Um, so I got burnt out on monster trucks in 2016. Uh, I was working for Feld Entertainment. I was there for four years. And I was just getting burnt out. Um, my marriage at the time was struggling. I wasn't having any fun doing it anymore. Um, my dad's health was kind of, my, my dad just got hurt again. And I was like, okay, uh, I'm going to take a step away. Um, my now ex-wife, uh, we said, well, if you're going back in a truck, I'm like, because at the time I was like, I, I don't like working for these carriers. I don't want to do it. And um, it's like, well, what about, have you thought about owning your own truck? And I was like, yeah, but it's completely out of the question. And she's like, well, why? I'm like, because well, they're a, a, a lot of money. <laughs> um, I don't know that side of the industry. So um, a good friend of mine who um, is great friends with uh, the Bigfoot guys has been an owner operator for, he was an owner operator for 30, 20, 25, 30 years, a, a long time. And I kind of reached out to him as a, Hey Scott, looking to buy my own truck. And he was kind of my mentor through, uh, through all this. Um, so I, I went out and bought myself a truck. I was like, okay, I'm only going to buy one truck. I'm not going to buy some ragged out, um, Freightliner Century, which nothing against Freightliner Century. It's a good truck, but they get used and abused. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, in, uh, June of, June of 2016, um, I took delivery of my first truck. It was a used 2005 Peterbilt, um, 379 short hood. You know, everyone's got a long, love their big long hoods, but I like the short hood. You got to be able to back. <laughs> and I started uh, hauling rail cans out of the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania rail yard. Um, I was kind of going over my numbers and realized, okay, the numbers aren't matching up. So um, I, I leased on then with a smaller carrier. And they worked with the uh, with their own broker, and I was able to through that broker get a deal with a uh, contract with UPS during their peak season, and was having a blast, um, having a blast, making good money. Um, contract came to an end, and um, that was that was right when e logs were becoming mandatory. Um, so that December, you know, my logbook, if I if you know. Just like everyone running a paper logbook, it wasn't exactly what what was written down. wasn't exactly what was going on. So paper paper logs are an IQ test. They're not uh, actually what's going on on the road. Exactly. <laughs> so um, I was 
kind of like, okay, what do I do? And Scott talked to me. He's like, hey, come on board with the company I'm leased to, Classic Carriers out of Ohio, and uh, let's make something. Let, let's. He was able to really sit down with me and because um, we saw each other a lot more then, obviously, but to help me get the business rolling. Um, so uh, I was at least all with Classic Carriers, and things were going great. Um, things were going great on, on the business side of things of understanding and learning it and making the right decisions. Uh, bad side was I dropped twenty eight thousand dollars into my truck in six months. <laughs> so um, um, I know the feeling. Um, Max's wife, she was running the books. Is like, hey, you uh, you realize we're losing money. We're not making any money, right? I'm like, yeah, I kind of realize that. She goes, what do you want to do? I said, well, let's sell the Peterbilt and get some better fuel mileage, um, because we are get something a little bit newer, better fuel mileage. And go from there. So, I um, we sold to Peterbilt, and I stepped into a Cascadia. I was able to make my truck payment on just my fuel savings alone uh, from running the, uh, a, a you know the Thermo King Tri Pack and the DD15 motor in mm-hmm. the aerodynamic truck. Like I went from four and a half five miles per gallon to six and a half seven, and I was yeah. eighty. I was doing reefer work, so I was eighty thousand pounds all the time. Um, fuel savings paying the truck payment. We're, things were going great. Um, and, uh, the phone started ringing about doing monster truck stuff again. <laughs> I think and, you got out at a good time because had you stayed in there, you know, rates were high and fuel was relatively low. And yep. then fast forward five, six years now, it's like the total opposite. Yeah. When, um, when I left fuel was, when I sold the Cascadia, it was December of 2008 i believe fuel was going up like it does every winter but freight rate freight rates were dropping and um when scott sold his truck i was like i kind of thought to myself like that man's owned that truck that truck's paid off that truck's been paid off for 15 years he just sold it Mm. i talked to him he's he explained the situation i was like okay maybe this shouldn't be for me um i was just to the point where i was breaking even from losing all that money with the peterbilt to you know she and i talked it over and was like okay let's sell it go back to because just the stress of it was sending my health all kinds of weird directions so <laughs> she's like go back racing you were not nearly as stressed out not nearly as worried so anyone looking to go down that owner operator path whether they're under their own authority or if they lease on to another carrier what do you recommend for them like what should what should they look into and research before they decide like, okay, this is something I really should do. Understand um, freight rates, understand, you know, n- know exactly how much it costs you to run that truck per mile um, before you say, okay, I'm going to buy a truck. If you're a company driver, you know, really figure it out. Um, you can figure out what it costs to run that truck per mile on your own um, by just thinking, okay, 10%, um, um, maintenance fees. Um, you're, you're, you're at the pump. You know exactly what the fuel costs. Calculate your fuel bill. You know, you spend, um, what, 500 bucks a day on fuel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can figure all this out easy. So know the numbers, go in educated and talk to, um, drivers that own their own stuff. You know, if you're, if you're looking to go the lease operator route with, uh, your carrier, talk to them. Get an idea what the freight rates are. Even if your company offers that, find out through them directly what is freight paying. Um, 
I know there's graphs out there that show how freight rates fluctuate throughout the season, but it's not 100% accurate because I know freight rates are are tanked right now, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, they. Like I'm seeing more and more hot shut guys than I've ever seen before in my life. So I think they're kind of killing. Um, I don't want to say anything bad about those guys, but because they have the lower operating overhead, they can take the lower freight, the cheaper freight. Barrier, the, the, the barrier to entry is also way lower too. It is because you can go and finance yourself a Ram 4,500 on your own credit. Get yourself a trailer. What, another $20,000? You So you're in a ready-to-go brand-new equipment for 100000 Yeah. Or Whereas... Rent. You can you can also rent it for you know a fraction of the cost too. Absolutely, you can. Yeah, uh, you know that's another YouTube rabbit hole you go down. You know, I watch a lot of these hot. Just go on YouTube and, and search hotshot driving, and yeah, all these guys. Are, to me, it's when I see that many videos from that many people. I sometimes that stuff sounds too good to be true, um, especially when they're like not just showing you the video, but they're also selling a program to you. I kind of roll my eyes at that, mm-hmm. but you know, to I I think right now you're right. Yeah, because the operating the big trucks is so expensive right now that's really where any everyone needs to go yeah if i knew in 2016 if i knew then what i know now i probably still own a truck i probably wouldn't be driving and i probably put someone in it so i go play monster trucks but um, <laughs> <laughs> um the amount that i've learned during the uh being out of furloughed from the monster truck industry for so long um you know i would definitely um flatbed a truck and um get on some of this construction stuff we've got um i i know what it's mostly hourly pay um home every night and the hourly pay is good so i mean i i'm still kicking around the idea of all right pay cash you know buy a truck twenty thousand dollars pay cash and again you can rent flatbeds for next for next to nothing well the the truck makes $150 an hour, put someone in it and go, you know, let them run it. See, let that be my retirement plan. Um, it's, it's crossed my mind a couple times. Um, I start looking into it. Then I go, no, no, no. I'm having like flashbacks when I was losing all that money, <laughs> but um, it's, it keeps, I'm always on truck paper, always on marketplace, looking at used trucks, looking up used flatbeds. Cause it's still, I like that side of the industry. Make call my one hundred percent call my own shots. Yeah, um, I think people people don't. So like you are very representative of like the attitude and throughout the industry of being your own boss, uh, running under your own authority. You want to, you know, set your own destiny, so to speak. Um, but you got there's an attitude too where guys have the opposite side of that coin where they want everybody to be employees. They want everybody under one umbrella, under one union under one representation and so there's always this pushback that we see against you know guys like yourself what do you have to say or what do you what do you recommend to those guys to understand what it is that you're trying to do so it's um everyone's different on how they how they uh, see things how they view things and they have everyone has their own opinion on things mm-hmm. um if i'm not going to sit here and try to convince someone to come over to own, to go and own their own stuff if they don't have that kind of mindset because their mindset won't work. Um, just like how, for me, I struggled with such a a big corporation because I have more of that 
I like to do things my way mentality. Um, again, I'm, I, I can't answer this question because I don't want to steer someone. I don't want to force my viewpoint on somebody. Okay. Yeah, which enough. maybe more people should, you know, look into when you get on <laughs> social media. <laughs> it's a very healthy attitude. <laughs> Wouldn't make social media very fun, but it's a very healthy attitude. <laughs> yeah. I think that, I think the conflict is uh what what really keeps people uh going back to it for sure. Like I know my career has kind of gone very roller coaster like um <laughs> on the different avenues of this industry that I've taken. Um you know, I've done over the road. I've done container work. I've done LTL work. I was in motorsports. I owned my own stuff. I went back to motorsports um, to go back into uh, onto the construction side of things, and now back into another hourly. I'm still going to say I'm on the construction side of things right now. Um, it's it's been a uh, a roller uh, certain. I don't want to say roller coaster because that makes sound good and bad. I mean, they're having good times, having bad times, but. Um, it's it's all over there. It's kind of like when you watch Looney Tunes and the airplane flies somewhere and it's going every which way. And some people love roller coasters. <laughs> um, like I got at, like like I said before, I got out of Monster because I was burnt out, owned my own stuff, and when I sold all my own stuff, it was you know phone calls ringing. Hey, what are you doing? Looking for work? What are you doing? Looking for help? And I go back into it. And then th- by getting back into it, I was able to get to uh, the Bigfoot team and. You know, that was my career goal was to work for the originator of the industry. And I was mm-hmm. able to spend uh, about a year and a half there, um, traveled all over the world with them um, until the uh, pandemic um, kind of changed things up for me. And uh, I've, you know, people have said, you know, they, you know, it's been a while. They probably aren't going to call you back. And I'm still waiting by the phone every day. You know, bags packed ready. I'm ready to hit the road again uh, as soon as, <laughs> as soon as they call me back. <laughs> So, cause it's, uh, it, that, that's my, that's my true passion. Even if I go back to that full time though, I might want to own a truck and put someone in it. Yeah. Just earn that uh, passive income while you stay up late at night, waiting to hear that call about your truck breaking down in Arizona. That's why I keep it local. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. One last topic and we'll, uh, we'll wrap this up here. So all three of us started at mega carriers in our careers, None of us work at mega carriers anymore. Are you noticing a pattern here? Um, in my class at Schneider, there were 72 of us the first day. Only 17 of us graduated and got CDLs. Nobody works for Schneider anymore. Do you know how many off the top of your head were in your class, Drew? Uh, we had a much smaller class. I want to say there was 20 or 30 of us in our class. Um, I don't think we lost that many. So I believe hmm. there were still around 20 of us that went through our initial two weeks. Um, Cause after the initial two weeks, we went to what they called their CDL school, which was practicing for the actual test. Yeah. And I stayed in Pennsylvania for that. Um, it's, I, I, I know for a fact though, that of the people you in my class, Carlisle, that, didn't you? Yes, I did. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Anybody get hit by the train while you was there? No, but a truck leaving the yard <laughs> <laughs> did break a drive shaft on the tracks. Ooh. <laughs> for, for those that don't know the the Schneider Carlisle, there's when you go up the road, there's the training school on the left, there's a railroad track, then you come to the dead end where the terminal sits. And about once I'm not I I'll 
confidence say once a year somebody's going to break down on that track and it's just like a madhouse when it happens because they're grabbing anything they bolted down to tie to that truck and trailer get it off that track yeah yeah because the pile of chains right there when that happened they took the jockey truck and pushed the truck across the tracks yeah We had, um, we didn't have anything crazy like that. So I, I was at Green Bay, you know, their, their OG school for that. Um, but just like any mega carrier, they have the big like track that you go on and they have the simulators in the classrooms and stuff. They had um, the skid pad, man. I know. And we, we didn't get to use it. So, so back in the early nineties, my dad, when he got out of the air force and we moved, moved to Indiana, he worked at Schneider and got his CDL through them. And he got to go like the full experience. Like they, they have this gigantic blacktop lot. They've, dump out the water tower in the morning, flood the, flood the parking lot, and everybody just goes out there and, and wrecks <laughs> semi-trucks all day long. And they stopped doing that. I, the rumor was that either the water bill was killing them or the township was screaming because like everybody in the town was losing water pressure because <laughs> it was just using up so much water. So once the, once the simulators came along, that's, that's what they switched to. But even that's not a really perfect um, – that's not a perfect training tool because – we had one lady in our class. She was like a you know middle-aged mom and they sit her in the seat and within 30 seconds of, of trying to drive the truck in that thing, she's like leaning over the side of the truck or leaning over the side of the, uh, the seat puking because the, the screen in front of her was giving her um, motion sickness. You know, there are, there are, there's a certain, you see that now with VR headsets, there's like a certain percentage of the population that are susceptible to like, um, seizures from like flashing images there's the same kind of percentage of people that are susceptible to motion sickness if they're sitting too close to a screen so what really annoyed me about that was she could probably drive a truck perfectly fine but because she couldn't handle being in the simulator seat they flunked her out wow yeah and they have uh so there were two classrooms in there there was one with like a cluster of simulators and there was another room where it was just one giant cat it was like a a chopped down uh, Peterbilt cab and they had projector screens and so the because the screens were further away it, it really looked like you were inside of a real semi cab and I think if they'd put her in that she would have been okay but nobody in that in our class got to use that um, they said it was like broke or something but we got to at least see the lights come on and stuff but um, yeah man that really annoyed me because they had like the computer graphic stuff and then they had like mechanical did, did they have the mechanical ones too where no, you could learn how to how to shift gears so at Carlisle um they had these two mobile office office trailers right next to the main terminal. And one of them was the classroom. The other one was uh, for the simulation. They just had two basic um, three screened um, simulators. You know, it's got your regular, uh, regular big truck steering column in it, you know, regular air ride seat, had a little uh, fish tank air pump. So you could set it up and down. Um, But with what you were saying about the motion sickness, the very first time they put me, in the simulator, um, I was getting a little, I, I got a little bit woozy. Mm-hmm. Um, and they mentioned, put, put a pair of sunglasses on and that helped, hmm. which I don't know why it helped, but it just did. <laughs> I get that too. If I'm playing a video game and like the character falls from like a really tall height, I have to like look away. Cause if I'm looking at it, I'll, I'll start feeling kind of, kind of woozy yeah yeah um, but no this 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 poor woman she was like super sensitive i mean she she was like v- like violently projectile vomiting <laughs> wow <laughs> like i know when with the 
with the pandemic and all the downtime, I started getting into iRacing a little bit. And uh, if you don't know, that's what that is. That's literally what it sounds like. It's simulator based racing. And I was just doing it on my laptop with an Xbox controller just for fun. Well, some of these people have full on rigs with the big three screens and I'm having flashbacks yeah. to the Schneider uh, simulator. <laughs> and I got a chance to drive one of those uh, iRacing and one of those. So I'm like, I'm driving like a, a core off-road truck and with the screen, you're not moving, but the screen's going every which way because the truck bouncing, it's, you know, I started getting woozy. I'm like, I'm going to try these sunglasses. Like that memory bank was like, put sunglasses on, put sunglasses hmm. on, try that. And um, yeah, you, you can definitely, you can get motion sickness not moving at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little, little advice for uh, future wannabe truck drivers out there. Do you, uh, so I haven't been to any one of these training facilities since since we left. Do you know if they're using the same simulators as they are now? I haven't been in the buildings. Um, I've actually I just drove by the Schneider term or the Carlisle Schneider terminal um, on the turnpike about two weeks ago and the buildings are still there. Hmm. Um, I don't know as far as what's in them. I haven't been in that terminal since I left in uh, 2008, <laughs> late 2008, 2009, something like that. Yeah. I went through training in October, 2007. So yep. had to, had to have been to 07 cause we, we, we met each other on the road in like 08. Okay. Cause I, cause I went through in um, June june of 2007 um i don't remember i don't remember exactly when we met all i remember is i was one of those weird guys that had the white internationals as opposed to the regular orange pumpkin i had a white international too not long after that because they put me on the aurora account okay and man man those were great trucks oh, not yeah. much storage not much storage but they they could haul oh yeah i mean that that truck like even when i was looking to buy a truck i test drove one of those uh 9400i internationals with an ISX and it was I mean they are those 9400s at Schneider were a completely different animal than the Century it was quieter it pulled better it rode nicer it didn't turn as sharp but and didn't have nearly as much storage but by the time I got into that thing I was on a dedicated run I was home every weekend yeah that's why I tell everyone now if you're going to like these mega carriers get something dedicated because trying to yeah. adjust from going from whatever career you're at before, you know, I worked retail before I went to truck driving and the complete lifestyle change, everything that you have to adjust to when you're going all over the road versus dedicated is it's, it'll, it'll save your life. Right. Cause it's, it's unless, unless you're mentally prepared for what the, the job throws at you, you, you can't, you can't really prepare. Absolutely. It's, um, it's not a job, it's a lifestyle really. Yes. Yeah. Um, when I, when I, I chose to go dedicated because um, I was so new and so green. I, I struggled with getting lost. Every time I went somewhere, it seemed like I was getting lost. And I would never get lost going from city to city. It was when I was trying to find, I'd be three blocks away from the place and looking down the wrong way of a one-way street going, um, this is not, this, the directions say turn here, but this isn't right. Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. So I wanted to get away from that. <laughs> All right, so where uh, where can people get to to uh, find you at nowadays? Um, social media. Um, I'm I'm on uh, Instagram. Uh, it's mankind, but uh, I'm not overly active on there much anymore. I'm just kind of taking a backseat to social media for for a hot minute. Uh, probably get back into it once I eh, figure out what's going on with me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Also a very healthy attitude. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Drew, well uh, Drew, it's been a blast catching up with you again. Um, I know we don't really talk all that regularly, but it seems like every time we do, you know, it's like uh, we were just talking yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's one great thing about our friendship, too, is, you know, I think last time I saw you was, hey, I'm in Philly. We didn't talk for like six months. Hey, I'm in Philly. <laughs> Next thing you know, we're going off doing stuff. Right there. <laughs> um, so we've had one of those st- consistently inconsistent friendships. We've, all, we've always been friends. <laughs> it's just how often we see and talk. And I have that. Every, I have friends in Florida that I haven't seen or talked to in probably a year or two or three or shit, five. But I'll call them tomorrow and they'll be like, hey, what's up? And it's like it was it was just yesterday when we talked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good attitude to have for truck drivers. <laughs> yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm James Rooster Bowen here with Justin Super Trucker Martin and Drew Mankind Epler. And we're going to catch you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>